When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason. Glad to have you with us for a special episode, another bulletin board material episode, if you will. Uh, our interview with Aggies today, Jackson Calloway was gracious enough to come on the podcast and uh, spend a few minutes talking about his journey in recruiting, Texas A&M football, and then all things really the SEC. We did some quick hitters at the end. Now, this is a kid that knows the SEC and specifically Texas A&M football like the back of his hand. Uh, the, the work that this kid does is just unreal. Um, as someone who's you know lived in the same space uh, as him, I'm just blown away, honestly, by the creativity and the the excellence in, in his work. So first of all, shout out to Jackson for coming on. Thank you so much. Um, also, if you are not following him already, you're an A&M football fan specifically, Aggies today on Instagram and Twitter. If you are also not following our Instagram and Twitter at three tech pod, we'd love it. If you would go reshare this, uh, leave a comment on any of our most recent posts. Honestly, as we get closer to the regular season, we'd love to know some of your fan predictions. So if you've got a hot take that you want to drop and want it to be featured on an episode coming up, uh, please head on over Twitter, Instagram. You can write in the show if you've got a hot take as well. 3techpod at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, just just let the takes flow. So without any further ado, here's today's episode with Aggies Today. Jackson, glad to get you on. We've been talking about trying to do this for for a little bit. And uh, first question for you, you know, you're you're a young guy that's accrued this massive following in in college football recruiting, specifically obviously Texas AM football. What what made you want to start doing that? Kind of what, what's your origin story here? Yeah, so uh, way back when, I'd probably say when I was probably six or seven, I used to have a, uh, which is so weird when it's when you say it out loud, but I used to have a Mavericks fan account when I was really, really young, um, Jameer Nelson days, like way back. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we and I had a Cowboys one that I kind of had the same time that I left the Mavericks one. I had the Cowboys one, um, and I had this old buddy. Uh, he used to run an Instagram one. I think he had like 100,000 followers. His name was Recruitology, and he did recruiting work. And I remember he asked, he asked me if I wanted to do A&M because – you know, I've never really been into college athletics that much uh, when I was younger. And so once he mentioned that to me, um, you know, I, I kind of looked at it a little bit. And so I started one, didn't really take it serious. And uh, my grandparents, we always had the season tickets and they took us to uh, the seven overtime LSU game. 
and that that's when it clicked for me i was like yeah this is this is definitely my space this is where i kind of this is like what i envision it to be um so i started taking it a little bit more seriously and then all of a sudden it just blew up man yeah no no kidding it seems like and i've forgotten where i jumped on the bandwagon and started following you <clears throat> a couple of years ago now it seems like but uh, yeah, you've blown up your, you just hit what? 20,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, insane. You, you are on a rocket ship right now. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that that game was kind of what made it click for you. That was my last game as a student. So really? I feel really, really connected to that game, but it, I had friends that weren't even Aggies at that game and, and, you know, happened to be there and it just felt like suddenly a light bulb kind of went on even for non Aggie fans. Like, Oh shoot. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. This team, you know, Jimbo might be building something special, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, since, since that moment, like you've, you grind at this, this is not something that you take lightly. This is not something that just kind of grabs your attention in, in spare time. You're constantly posting news, posting edits. Uh, how, how do you balance, you know, kind of this responsibility that you've taken on with school, with work, whatever it might be, just, just a normal balanced life. Yeah, it's tough. And I, I remember I posted it uh, yesterday. I talked about it yesterday because I posted about my 20,000 follower, you know, milestone. Because that was something big for me. I Because, you know, I never really thought it'd get this big. Um, and so really, I didn't have any concerns about me balancing. And so I started taking a little bit more seriously on last year's uh, signing day or maybe even the year before when we were getting McKinley Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, at, at that time, I was starting to kind of struggle in school because I was working way too hard outside of school <laughs> on Aggies today. And uh, I remember my, me and my parents were talking about it, and, we, and they were like, you need to find a middle ground or else this, is, this may become a problem because you're working harder on Aggie today than you are on your schoolwork. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit tough, and especially with the, matur with the maturity. Um, I feel like, whoops, uh, I feel like that's definitely uh, come along. Um, but, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of lessons. I learned them hard for sure. There's been some scenarios where I get in a little bit of trouble. Um, I'm <laughs> 30, the staff, there's been some times. It's been a while, though, so. Um, but yeah, I think really, you know, it, it was tough to start off, but now that I'm kind of comfortable and I, I got my grades up last year, um, I'm really happy with the position I'm in right now. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that kind of goes along with that, uh, that, you know, some of the listeners may not know, and I, I'm sure that's going to be a majority of, of A&M fans that end up tuning into this podcast and being new listeners. But one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is one, how hard it is to establish yourself in this space. You don't just get to be an insider overnight, but two, also to kind of respect the boundaries around that. So two-part question here. First of all, when you started to you know, run Aggies Today to, to put out news, you're very, very good about making friends with the recruits and, and you know, kind of establishing a true connection. Was that difficult to, to get started? Like, How did you go about you know, messaging different guys and saying, hey, here's what I'm doing you know, would, would love it if, if we could kind of establish a friendship and a connection and, and a news cycle that way. Yeah, um, at the beginning, it was definitely tough because when you're at, I mean, 100, 200 followers, no one's really taking you serious. Um, they don't really, you know, I remember back then, it was just like, they don't really care about what you're talking about. They're just responding to responding because they want to show the fans love. Um, I remember that being really tough because I, I all this time, I've always actually cared for the players. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I'll even say, like, at the beginning, I, I really wasn't getting much talk with the players. It was even more um, – I had such a great group around me of other pages, like me and Hayes Fawcett, who are, is very big mm -hmm. on the scene now. 
Uh, he started to blow up. I mean, we started around the same time. And I remember we we kind of raised up to the top together. Um, and I, I just remember he was one of the guys that kept encouraging me and letting me know, like, these guys are serious about their stuff and, you know, what to do, what not to do, and how to communicate with them and not. Um, and over time, I feel like as I've started to know more guys, they kind of sh- – in a way, it kind of has a domino effect because I know uh, Tevin Carter, who I've been best friends with for a while. He went to Memphis. Uh, he was best friends with Haynes King. He's cousins mm-hmm. with Jackson. And so I was in group chats with all of them. And then there was other recruits in those group chats. And from there, you kind of just have a wide group that, you know, uh, trust you and they believe in you. And I mean, also, it's a big part. I don't think a lot of people realize it. But, um, like, I have to balance out the scale, as you referenced, that of being buzzed with the recruits and keeping everything they say secret, but also doing my job and informing. Um, right. And not misleading them in a way. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so, you know, I briefly worked – in recruiting, spent spent a year working at Texags and, and hosted the radio show, and so <clears throat> I got a brief glimpse into, you know, kind of a treasure trove of of insider information that you absolutely cannot share. There are certain things that obviously will go out in, in articles, and you you release tweets as as information becomes available, but there's such a fine line on breaking the news and you know being being respect uh, respectful with that. So. You know, you're a young guy. One of the things that I've been most impressed about with you is your respect for that line. How did you kind of understand, all right, here's where the boundaries are. Like, here's where I can break news, quote unquote, and establish myself. And here's what I have to keep off limits. Does that make sense? Yeah. um, I I think mainly the main way I kind of learned that was just kind of talking to the recruits and kind of putting myself in their shoes. Um, Growing up, I always played football. Um, for a lot of them, I'm the same age as them. And I, I remember there was a certain day, I can't remember which recruitment it was, um, but it was way back 2020. Um, I remember I was talking to Demas and he was kind of just explaining like the entire process and how annoying it was to have all these guys mm-hmm. always texting him and always release the stuff before he wanted to. Um, and I, eventually it just kind of became the part where I was putting myself in their shoes and like, this is a, this is a lifetime decision for them. Um, it's the process they only get to do once. Um. So I started to realize like this is all stuff that you know means a lot more to them than it does for me. Yeah. Um, I, I I go talk to hundreds of kids every class, and I am able to do all that. Um, it was kind of just making sure you're unselfish. Um, I mean, if you're a good insider, then you'll break news by itself when it's ready to come out. Um, mm-hmm. If they let it come out, but if it's not, it's not meant to be out. Yeah. Well, I, again, hats off to you because with the following that you have, with the success that you've enjoyed and you know, you being as young as you are like that, that, you know, honestly changes a lot of things for a lot of people. And and I've been, like I said, very impressed with how even killed you've been, you have been a true reporter. Um, and I know like you've talked in your spaces and, and on Twitter, you'd like to work in recruiting. Um, I'll tell you this though, if you ever want a, a career in, in just sports media and reporting, like you are building for yourself one heck of a resume. So congrats Great. on all that. Um, before we move over to the true football side of things, uh, do you have like one favorite recruitment from the last couple of years that, that kind of jumps out? Man, there's a few of them. Um, I, I think some that come to mind right away, uh, Dante Manning, uh, way back when he committed to Oregon, mm-hmm. but I'd probably lean toward it being JoJo Earl. Um, Cause for a while he was TCU commit, obviously. And yep. then you're in him in Texas rumors and then decommits. I remember it was like right on signing day. I believe he decommitted. I remember I went to I was taking a nap that day because I had been up all night uh, before. Because I, I remember that day, early signing day always falls on exam day for me. 
Yeah. So I I remember I stayed up to like five in the a.m. that morning. I was making sure I had everything ready for signing day, and then I wake up at seven, go take a go take a few exams, um, which I killed by the way. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> Let's go. And then uh, I remember I went. I, I remember going home. And I was seeing all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I need to take a nap. I remember going to bed. I remember I was told by somebody. I can't remember who it was. Um, that he, we were going to land Jojo Earl. Now, and that was like the one guy, because that was a class where we didn't really get many receivers. I can't remember. I think I think he was Demas's class. So I remember we had yeah, some guys ago. There was no one quite his, you know, play style or what. No mm-hmm. one could match what he could do. Um, so I was really pumped about that. I wake up and he had committed to Alabama. And that <laughs> I was just heartbroken. I was yeah. heartbroken, man. Yeah, no, that that was tough. Feeling like that maybe AM had a legitimate shot. And then I think I ended up covering uh I don't remember if it was a playoff game before that. It must have been it must have been right before that. So when when AM still had a chance at it, you know, you have to be completely unpartial, uh impartial right. when you're when you're on the broadcast, but trying to suppress that excitement. Hey, we we might get this kid and uh anyway, so uh right. that's that's great. Um well let's move over to over to the football side, and, and let's talk Texas A&M first before we do some some SEC quick hitters. A&M, you know, disappointing year last year. Uh, don't need to rehash that eight and four campaign that that really should not have been. Um, but you deal with injuries, you deal with uh, position turnover, and, and, and building a new team. And this year, A&M has a three way quarterback battle at the top. It's where it really seems to start for Jimbo. Is if he's got his quarterback, that's when his teams are at their best. Haynes King, Max Johnson, certainly the favorites, although Connor Wegman, you know, one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever commit, the highest rated quarterback to ever commit to Texas A&M. Where do you kind of evaluate those quarterbacks being and, and ultimately, like, is there a right decision that A&M has to make to to reach a certain ceiling or, or do you truly feel like, hey, this is a, you know, a stable full of talented guys and let's just go win football games? Yeah, I, I've been asked this question a lot, so I've kind of had to uh, say this. Like, I've had you know a belief that I think Max Johnson is the guy this year. Um, that's not a hit at Wigman or uh, Haynes, but I think it really is down to Max or Haynes, uh, just because Wigman is very young, and I feel like if they did start him, I think that could have some negative impacts on the rest of the room. Yeah. Um, but the the reason I lean towards Max is because I th- I think Max he won't win you games, but he won't lose you games, and I, I think this is a year where it's, it's that final year for AM takes that last step. And so I think really this year you want to get the floor of this team's record as high as it can possibly be because you need to impress this year. Um, and I, it's also conflicting because hey, Haynes will win you games. He will win you some insane games. I mean, he can win you an Alabama game, but he can also lose you games with the decision-making that he has shown is not really quite at the level you want it to be at yet. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's the only reason I lean towards Max, but it's interesting because as of late, since he came to AM, it's always been dual threat, dual threat, dual threat for Jimbo. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if he continues that trend or if he even trusts Max enough on the ground. We'll see. Yeah, so obviously Haynes brings the highest ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, un- unsure where that floor is. We didn't really get to see that last season. Obviously had the three interceptions against Kent State. Now, <clears throat> some of those were not his fault, but – when it comes to, you know, say Max Johnson is the guy, describe his game to, you know, and 
Alabama fan, a Florida fan that listens to this podcast that's aware of Max and his time at LSU, but hadn't hadn't really seen him. Like, what can they expect if they pull up to you know the game against Texas A and M and Max Johnson is under center? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first thing that really sticks out to me is that he's a proven leader. Um, I mean, that last last year's LSU offense it was pretty bad, um, yeah. but I mean, he continued to take hit after hit, especially in that A and M game. He continued to get up. And, and make some crucial throws. Um, I think the one thing that st- sticks out about me is that he 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 stays very consistent no matter what time of the game it is. I mean, I remember that especially in the AM game last year. He, he threw a dime on us to win the game. Yeah. Um, he never really cracks under pressure. Um, and overall, I just think the leadership is the number one thing that, I, that really sticks out about Max. And do you see him truly like in Jimbo's system – do you see him having a, a role on the ground? Do you see him kind of being more like Kellen where, hey, he can run, but his first instinct is to stay in the pocket? Like, describe that. Yeah, it was interesting because I never really thought of Max as a dual threat in the very least. Yeah. Um, but kind of from what we've seen thus far in the spring game and some practices and some scrimmages, it looks like he can run a little bit. Um, which was really shocking to me because he actually can run pretty well. Um, we saw it in the spring game. So it's interesting because I feel like in this this year's offense, it's going to be a very spread out offense. I feel like he's going to have room to run. And I think this is this may be a guy that is going to shock a lot of people with uh, his running ability this year. Yeah. One of the, the critiques that Jimbo's had during his time at A&M, and uh, you can honestly even go back to Florida State, is – Sometimes the passing game isn't as vertical as the modern college football is is kind of translating towards, right? For this season with the new the new co- highly coveted five stars that AM got in, uh, where do you see this re- uh, this receiving core progressing to? Are they to the point where that vertical passing game is is finally going to be something that defenses have to watch out for? Yeah, and I'll say this. I know there's been some changes to the offense in terms of scheme and uh, playbook and just opening up the playbook, and I think you see that uh, with the change with the coaches. Um, I mean, you can tell there's a lot more. Um, I don't really know where to describe it, but the practices are much more intense. They're much more focused. Um, and I, I think moving Damian Craig to quarterback coach, Coley to receiver coach where he's been, um, and then and obviously Dickey to tight end coach, I think that also shows you this team kind of realizes that they haven't been as vertical as they need to be. And mm-hmm. with the brink, with the speed that you have this year and Devonta chain, Evan Stewart, Chris Marshall, I mean, Anaya Smith, there's all those guys. Um, I, I think this is a year where they're really going to get upfield and vertical, which is something we haven't seen in a few yeah. years. What is kind of that position group that you're most looking forward to watching this season? Obviously a lot of the hype was on the defensive line and, and just the stupid amount of talent that they brought in, but and maybe that's your answer, but if there was one position group that you just said, man, I am charged up come September to see them take the field, who is it? Yeah, for me, I think uh, I, I definitely give a bit of an edge to the defensive backs over the receivers. Uh, I think the defensive backs is a very intriguing position uh, this year, especially because we have Antonio Johnson, but uh, you got Jalen Jones, who is a guy who had an incredible freshman year, but wasn't quite the same guy as sophomore year. I'm intrigued to see how he plays this year, especially where he plays. Uh, you got Tyreek Chappelle and all those young studs. Um, you know, Denver Harris, Bryce Anderson, Dayon Boy, you brought all them in. 
intrigued to see where they plug in this year. Um, and also, I know I mentioned the receivers, but I also want to go to linebackers because I think that's a very intriguing position. I think Gary and Cooper can be one of the best linebackers in the SEC this year. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of a question mark on who's going to be the second linebacker and how much that linebacker plays because I think that position is a lot closer than people give it credit for. I think Martrell Harris could have a very real shot at playing some legit snaps by the end of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. And Martrell Harris, true freshman from the Woodlands, correct, when yeah. uh, just committed this last cycle. Um when, when you look at the trenches, uh, so the defense and the defensive line, they've been stockpiling talent for a long time. And this year you're going to get to see some of the guys that have been waiting in the wings. McKinley Jackson played a lot last year. Tumisi Adelaide, I think he's going to finally get his shot. Is A&M ready to compete at a national championship level in the trenches? Not saying that this is the year to go win a championship, but from here on out, is is A and M truly ready to produce at the level that we've seen Alabama and Georgia do it at? For me, it's hundred um, percent. I think defensive line. I think right now you're recruiting them better than anyone else in the country. Um, I, I think the only worry for me this year on the defensive line is the experience. But I, I think as time goes, these guys are so talented that I don't think it'll matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the offensive line, I think really that that group is really solid. I think you're really missing a pure swing tackle this year. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I think if injuries could take a toll on that group, if they were to happen. Um, but overall, that starting lineup with Aki potentially and then Ruben and Zune and Lena Robinson and Bryce Foster, I think that's as good of a group as we had in a very long time. Yeah, well, you're getting me excited about it. That's for sure. Um where do you see A&M ceiling as this year? I think we both kind of agree that this isn't the year that they're supposed to to really threaten to make the playoff, but you never know. Um, I've got Texas A&M at, at 10 and 2. This this episode will drop after our SEC West preview. So, um, 10 and 2 is kind of where I'm projecting a loss to Alabama and then I just don't like the way that the Mississippi schools fall on the on the calendar for us, but where do you figure in for our record? Yeah. So my prediction was also 10-2. That's kind of what I'm stuck with all year. I think the ceiling, man, I, I don't think our, our floor is low. I think our floor is 9-3, and three, but our ceiling, I'm conflicted on whether or not it's 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one, uh, just because I need to see the consistency of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think those Mississippi State, Mississippi State game and the Ole Miss game, I think those are two games that are going to really put us in a weird spot. I think that Florida game could be a trap game. I'm not – I don't, I don't think they'll be a very special team by any means, but obviously uh, it's Florida. Anything can happen. Um, and then obviously the rest of the SEC, how it pans out. I don't expect Auburn to be a good team this year, but if they are, that could be another trap game. So, Yeah. Well, from A&M's schedule over to kind of some SEC quick hitters, and I actually want to start with uh, the team that, that A&M will finish their regular season against LSU. Brian Kelly go, goes down to Baton Rouge and – it's an it's an odd marriage. Um, he's certainly there's not a southern bone in his body, no matter how many times he twists his accent. But where do you think this LSU team kind of fits this season? It seems like they could go and, and surprise people in the wins column, or they could also surprise people and and have a kind of a cellar dweller year. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I, I kind of lead towards them being because again, as you just said, I, I think they're either gonna be really surprising positively or they'd be really surprising negatively. Um, I'd lean towards negatively. I'm not quite sure, you know, what the quarterback situation is looking like there, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough proven stuff for me to like it. Um, 
off the overall last year the offense was awful. Um, this year, I mean, they brought in a few guys. Let me see how they do. But overall, I think the biggest factor is Brian Kelly, and I'm I'm just not a fan, especially in the SEC. We'll, we'll see. I know there's some Brian Kelly fans out there, but I've just never really been sold on him. Yeah, it, it just. And I'm not, I, I certainly don't want to come across as thinking, you know, saying he's not a fit at LSU because I'm not an LSU fan, but I think everybody collectively, I think even LSU fans will tell you that's, it's not the most natural fit. Um, and so I think you, you can maybe see things going negatively a little bit easier than you can see him, you know, crushing expectations and having LSU competing for a New Year's Six Bowl, but they're, they're certainly an enigma. So I, I think... I think on a week to week basis, picking them, whether you're, you know, shooting the the over under or, or what have you, I think is going to be very, very difficult um, if you're oh, yeah. betting money on the LSU Tigers. Uh, Alabama, you know, Nick Saban's made headlines all off season long. He just most recently said that last year was a rebuilding season. Uh, all the accolades aside, winning the Heisman, uh, winning the SEC, and then going to the national championship game. Programs would kill for that to be a rebuilding season. Is, is this just same song, different verse, where Saban has created enough motivation for his team to go claim another national title? What would be his eighth as head coach? Man, it, it's tough for me because they lost so much talent, but at the same time, it's Alabama. And I feel like I said that every single year, that they lost so much and they'll be down this year, and they're never down this year. Um, <laughs> I, I think overall, my biggest takeaway from the offseason was them getting Jameer Gibbs, who I think is one of the top running backs in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a massive piece. And then also, um, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how the receiving core does. Um, they lost to Jai Hall, who I thought was gonna be a big factor for them this year. Obviously isn't the best in the locker room, but I thought he was gonna be really solid for them. Um, and then losing Jamison Williams, I think that was a massive hit for them. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously it's Bama. They got dudes on dudes, but, um, I mean, I'm interested to see how they run that offense this year. Cause I feel like they're gonna have to change it up a little bit from the last year. It sounds like, you know, Jermaine Burton, who obviously transfers in from Georgia, has has impressed people. But Nick Saban, I think yesterday, as we're recording this, uh, you know, his press conference was a little bit critical of the Louisville transfer and saying, hey, you know, we got to kind of channel his talent in the right direction. So I do think wide receiver is the one question mark that they have on that team. But again, like you said, it's Bama. They've got five stars who've been waiting in the wings. Um, You know, it just feels like... At the end of this season, if you didn't pick Alabama to win the national championship, you're going to be going, what was I thinking? Yeah, uh, I always feel like that, man. It You never see it coming, and then you're like, why didn't I see it coming? Yeah, exactly. Uh, last thing in the SEC West, and then I, I want to ask you a couple of questions on the other side of the, the division as well. Uh, the, the Mississippi schools, they're so hard to pin down on a year-to-year basis. One of them is coached by Mike Leach, and the other one is, is Lane Train. Where I mean, it seems like breaks follow that guy around, and he creates his own headlines and content. And gosh, his guys play really hard for him in such a competitive division where Arkansas is the popular pick to be the number two in the SEC West. Where do you see the Mississippi schools rounding out and finding their place? Oh man, it's tough this year, especially for Ole Miss because they lost both their coordinators, they lost Corral, they lost so many pieces on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I, I, I think in terms of those two schools, I think Mississippi state will definitely be the one ranked higher by the end of the year. Um, I don't think they lost as much. I think they brought in a little bit, um, mm-hmm. that can contribute a lot quicker than, uh, some of the old guys Ole Miss did. 
Um, but it's always tough because Lane, it's Lane Kiffin. The offense is going to be awesome, but I'm also curious to see how much his offensive coordinator did for him, um, especially Matt Corral, because I feel like Matt Corral himself won them a few games, especially the A&M game. Um, and so I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Ole Miss. I'm not expecting them to have as good of a year as everyone else is saying. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards them going more 500 or maybe slightly wow. a bit because I, I'm I'm really hesitant to put them very high. Uh, they lost Durkin. They lost Levy. So we'll see what happens there. Mississippi State's going to be interesting because it's Mike Leach. He didn't lose his quarterback, who, by the way, is shockingly pretty solid. Stud, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, they obviously have some of the same guys on the air. They brought in a guy from uh, Washington State uh, who I'm a big fan of. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. It's Mike Leach, so you never know what you're going to get. But um, I have a feeling they'll be pretty solid this year. Yeah. On Monday's pod, we released our SEC East preview and the consensus rankings that are a part of that. And across the board, the three of us had Kentucky as the second team in the East behind Georgia, who I believe we also all had Georgia going undefeated this season. Are we overlooking Tennessee? Have we appropriately ranked Kentucky? Who, who do you think claims kind of that second role, second best uh, in the East? It's awesome you say that because I've defended Kentucky all offseason on my Twitter spaces. Uh, <laughs> I am a big Kentucky fan this year. I, I love what they have going. They got some immediate transfer guys, as well as they got Keontae Goodwin, who I think is going to be a top five draft pick. I see him play right away. He'll probably be all SEC first year. That's just how he is. Um, and then they obviously brought in some other guys at class. But overall, Kentucky is in a much better state than they've been in a long time. The coaching isn't bad, especially as bad as some of their guys that they'll play every year. Um, so we'll see what happens there. On the Tennessee hype, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. Um, I haven't really dove into their roster too much, but I just – I feel like they're the team this year that everyone's hyping up just because they have to hype someone up. Sure. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, obviously, it's Tennessee, and I think they obviously have some great players, but I, I, I'd definitely put Kentucky above Tennessee. Yeah, our, our concern was that Tennessee defense is a bunch of question marks. The offense, we, we feel like, is going to be pretty good, and you know, Hendon Hooker, as long as he doesn't drop off sharply from last season, should be, should be great. But yeah. defense is like... It's not you know, okay. Throwing a dart on the depth chart, and you might you get a start, you get a start, and yeah. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Volunteer Nation. My my prediction was as long as the Vol Navy is not burning in the channel outside of Neyland, then it's a successful season. So uh, just maybe temper the expectations there, Tennessee fans. Um, kind of in that mid tier of the East, uh, and I don't know if you're an F1 fan, but I reference it as kind of the midfield of the SEC East. You got Florida and South Carolina. And in Missouri, too. I don't, I don't know where you stand on Missouri. But it seems like Florida, and it may be unfair because Napier's just come in, but Florida as a whole program, to me, feels like it's regressing while South Carolina is progressing. Do, do I have an accurate read there? Yeah, I'd say the exact same thing. And it's not even because of the coaches, but I just don't think Florida has anywhere near the same talent level as they always have. Um, and South Carolina has one more talent than they've ever had. Well, not ever had, but in recent memory that they've had a very long time. Yeah. Well, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, give me a prediction for for the SEC West East champ who ultimately, you know, wins in in uh, in Atlanta. And then, do you have a, an early idea of what your college football playoff looks like? 
Man, I, I feel some people may be mad at this, but I think it's going to be Georgia, Bama, once again. Sure. Um, I, I think a and a year away. Um, and then over there in Georgia's division, I don't think there's really much competition there. Uh, we'll see. Maybe someone shocks everyone. I, I like Missouri. I don't think they're a conference championship type team, but we'll see what happens. Um, Playoff-wise, it's going to be interesting because I, I, I think – I think right now Ohio State is the only team I've really locked in there just because I don't think they play really, you know, the schedule everyone else does. They got a lot of talent this year. They lost a lot of talent on the offensive side. Um, but they're the only team I'd really lock in. Um, I mean, I think a safe bet would probably be putting Bama and Georgia in there regardless. And then maybe you have a team that shocks a lot of people, like I'll, I'll, I'll add on to the hype train, maybe Utah. We'll see. I'm not a big Utah fan, but people have been saying it, so I'll say it. Yeah, <laughs> tell you what, there's I'm I'm on the Utah hype train, not necessarily as as convinced as, as uh, Garrett, one of our other co-hosts, is, but I know you'll make him happy with, with that. <laughs> uh, well, Jackson, I appreciate you coming on, spending a couple of time, a couple of minutes with us. Um, if you aren't already following him, you're a Texas A&M fan, or just someone that honestly loves to talk ball, wants to follow someone that is intimately connected in the space. Uh, Aggies today on Instagram and Twitter, you will have no problem finding him. Um, you know, Jackson, we really appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to conversation down the line. Of course. All right, guys. Well, that will do it for this special episode of The Three Technique. Until next time, so long, everybody. Yeah.